The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Glory to God in the highest and peace. Beloved, we welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us uh, on, in worship. This Sunday, Christmas Sunday, Christmas Tide, we remember in this pulpit the words and ministry of Howard Thurman, who wrote, When the song of the angels is stilled, and the star in the sky is gone, and the kings and princes are home, and the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to visit the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among siblings, and to make music in the heart. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. pray. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. 
grant that this light enkindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel, that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in reading responsively Psalm 148 with the antiphon. Praise the Lord from the heavens, praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, all his angels, praise him, all his host. Praise the Lord, sun and moon, praise the Lord, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, who commanded and they were created, who established them forever and ever, and fixed their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters in all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling God's command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above earth and heaven. God has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his faithful, for the people of God who are near their God. Praise the Lord. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Glory to you, Lord. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child, to destroy him. Then Joseph got up took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that he had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. 
Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that when he had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. be seated. Like other births, Jesus' own occurs in the midst of trouble. He's hardly born before another dream befalls Joseph, the poor fellow, a man drenched in dreams, and commands the Holy Family to flee to Egypt, for so the prophet had predicted. Like most growth, Jesus' own develops amid controversy Herod fulfills another prophecy by slaying the children of Bethlehem, who then as now are in peril every hour, for so the prophet had predicted. Like much childhood, Jesus' own transpires amid governmental wrangling and religious strife and existential uncertainty. His family comes to make their home in Nazareth down at the north end of the lake, and Jesus so becomes a Nazarene, so the prophet predicted. Jesus is immersed in our full life. Jesus is our childhood's measure. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he shareth in our gladness. The Christmas gospel is just this. God has taken human form, entered our condition, become flesh for our present congregation, and especially come Christmas for our faithful radio congregants listening from afar, we gladly announce this good, good news. He came that we might have life and live it abundantly. In the next century after his birth, Irenaeus was to say in summarizing this salvation, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That is, the birth of Jesus penetrates all of the seasons of life. Even dear 
doer Ecclesiastes, who found so little to celebrate in life, at least made space in his otherwise saturnine perspective to honor time, the passage of time, the flow of time, and the regular return of times and seasons. You remember, for everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Well, beloved, as we pause between Christmas and the new year, and so between past and future, youth and age, life and death, heaven and earth, this age and the age to come, perhaps we too can incarnationally celebrate the seasons of life. That is, look with me for a moment out at 2014 from a theological, liturgical, and religious perspective. Listen on the radio from afar to the ecumenical voice of Marsh Chapel, wherein all the families of Christendom and of the earth itself find a real home. For to every denomination there is a season and a time for every theological perspective under heaven. Here is what I mean. You may not think much of the Presbyterians. They can be cold people, I know. God's frozen people, said one. You may never have wanted to wade in the dark, icy water of Calvinist despair. You may not see yourself through the lens of a Bergman film. But there is a time and a season. When Ash Wednesday arrives in a couple months, we are all Presbyterians. Yes, if at no other point on this day, we do well to read John Calvin. For we are dust, and to dust we do return, as both the Bible and Ignatius of Loyola taught. More on him in a moment. We do all sin and we do all fall short of the glory of God. We are fully mortal and utterly prone to harm others. In Calvin's favorite winning phrase, a personal delight of my own as well, we are totally depraved. His follower, Jonathan Edwards, described us as sinners in the hands of an angry God held like filthy spiders over the pits of hellfire and spared only by God's strong wrist who in holding us to save us nevertheless averts his eyes from the hideous sight. Yikes! This is serious Ash Wednesday stuff. Really to sense this, you need the mind of John Calvin, the voice of Jonathan Edwards, and the heart of John of Patmos. I admit it's not a happy creed, but it's a sober one. As my Scottish Presbyterian mother-in-law mother sometimes says to me, Bob, you are so wrong. Marsh Chapel embraces Presbyterians, especially on Ash Wednesday. And as we have done other years, come that season on atonement, we have preached and on Marilyn Robinson and on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Jacques Ellul. This year, 2014 March, we will preach on John Calvin himself. So buy a Presbyterian lunch early in Lent and appreciate the gifts of their season. Speaking of Lent, you may be thinking of the Jesuits, Perhaps you had attended a Jesuit college or teach in one. I have taught in one since 1989, Lemoyne College. Maybe you've wondered about Ignatius of Loyola, born in Pamplona, a Spaniard, a warrior who was converted through illness to the beatific vision of Jesus the Christ, the Lord, the Savior. Believe me, in Lent, we are all Jesuits. In the season of Lenten discipline and preparation, we know about the Jesuit creed, march of ice and snow and cold. You may not precisely use his spiritual exercises, his devotional, daily devotional of silence and prayer and vision of Jesus. You may be sorry that he let loose the Inquisition and Index as tools of the Counter-Reformation. You may feel he carried too much eye and too much military into a faith that is primarily auditory and ironic. In that, you would be a Lutheran, you Lutheran, you. But in Lent, we are all soldiers in the society of Jesus, ready to drill and train and prepare and exercise and submit. As Teresa of Avila put it, even when we are thrown from the mud cart of life, God is with us. Beloved, we will need her voice later this year with our annual Marsh Prayer Brunch, Marathon Monday, April 21st, right here at 10 a.m. Marsh Chapel embraces Jesuits, whether in the Vatican or on the street, especially in Lent. Everyone is a Jesuit come Lent. 
Since though you brought up Luther, we must also give credit where credit is due. Come Good Friday, when we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, our greatest gain we count but loss and pour contempt on all our pride. I know that the ground at the foot of the cross is pretty level, but the view of the cross that is best is found from the perspective of Lutherans who stoutly recall with Luther, crux sola nostra theologia, Lutherans, Lutherans, we love you here at Marsh Chapel, especially on Good Friday. Luther's grave is not found in Lake Wobegon, but you can see it from there. We need to remember, especially on Good Friday, that all our best intentions fall short. Especially when we think we have it just right, whatever it is, we invariably have it just wrong. It was Katie Van Bora, a former nun, who in marrying Luther reminded him of his humanity and brought out the most winsome traits of the reformer's character. All our symbols, personal, familial, national, and denominational, lie prostrate before the cross and all need right interpretation to avoid idolatry. Even the cross, our own central symbol, needs that interpretation, which is why we consent to a 25-minute sermon every week, even though the Baptist would rather shout and pray. Did we in our own strength confide our winning would be losing? When it comes to the cross, no one says it better than Luther. Now, I have just mentioned the Baptists. This, you worry, brings the camel's no nose under the tent. They are always threatening to become the sideshow that ate up the circus, you say. You give them an inch, they'll take a mile, you say. Speaking of miles, they can, they can seem a mile wide and an inch deep, you say. They give anarchy a bad name, you say. But we, we must recognize that there is a season for everybody, especially the Baptists. For in June or late May, when the world is young again, we will celebrate Pentecost, the day of spirit. Every week, I know, you try to invite one person to join you in worship at Marsh Chapel. Baptists are embraced and very embracing here. After 50 days, after 40 days, that is 90 days from Calvin's ashes, we pause again to remember that God is with us. Wesley died saying, the best of all is God is with us. Relax, I'll get to the Methodists in due time. Remember, we're having a meeting here of some Methodists, May 22nd at 10 a.m. So I would say to you, beware your caution about Baptists. The Baptists are not all canoe and no paddle, not all axe murder and no sheriff, not all fire and no hose, not all, all hat and no cattle. God love them, no. Not all spirit, whatever the Trinitarian Orthodox say. The Baptists may seem almost Unitarians of the third person of the Trinity, but I tell you, come Pentecost, that's the day, Lord, dear Lord, God above, God of plenty, God of love, please look down and see my people through. That is, when that wind of God is blowing, you need some Baptists around to shake things up a bit. Yes, you do. Rembert Weekland said that Christians are always in a little bit of trouble. Isabel van Wagener, a Baptist, you know her as Sojourner Truth, said at this season, that man, says women, can't have as much rights as a man because Christ wasn't a woman. Well, where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Mad had nothing to do with him. You see what I mean. You need to shout when the Spirit says shout. Greek Orthodox do, do, do not do a lot of shouting on Sunday or on Monday. They happily meet here in Marsh Chapel on Monday evenings, but there's very little hollering. They're not big shouters except during their summer festivals, which happen to come properly, I think, about the time of Trinity Sunday. The more liturgical churches, Orthodox, Episcopalian, and Catholic, remember this Sunday, Trinity Sunday, better than others. We love the Orthodox at Marsh, especially on Trinity Sunday. This is the season when we remember that God is more than lordly savior, that God is more than almighty creator, that God is more than mysterious spirit, that God has three, three, three faces in one. Leave it to the Orthodox to remind us. When you come to June 15th, 
Go to a Greek festival and dance to the triune God. Go ahead, hug a Trinitarian in June. A few blocks down Commonwealth Avenue at Arlington Street, the ghost of William Ellery Channing may be angry about it, but you go ahead and you love your Trinitarian neighbor as your own self. As Constantine's mother, Helena, may have said on one of her many fourth century pilgrimages to Jerusalem, let us remember well those who have revered God before us. Our national 2014 summer preaching series here at Marsh Chapel on the theme, The Gospel and Emerging Adulthood, with preachers Nix, Walton, Romanek, and others will help us revere God in our time. Now that we are knee-deep in liturgy, let us honor the Roman Catholics. Every third member of our Marsh community today comes out of a Roman Catholic background. Our history, liturgy, nave, location, and personality of a, as a congregation have regularly made this move accessible to women and men of many different interests and backgrounds. On World Communion Sunday, we are all Catholic, especially this year and next, when we look back with joy on Vatican II and its explosion 50 years ago of aggiornamento, aggiornamento, renewal. I love to say an Italian word every now and then. You who are listening on the radio to Marsh Chapel, Hear the gospel. With the universal church, we here celebrate the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. With the universal church, we here acknowledge one Lord, one faith, one baptism. With the universal church, we here recognize the global character of the Christian communion. It has been the Roman Catholic Church, more steadily than most, that has defended the human body in our time. It has been the Catholic Church that has regularly regarded the poor and those of low estate. It has been the Catholic Church that has kept the long history of Christendom before us. Our liturgical ties to the Universal Church should not be loosened by the very real doctrinal differences we may have with Rome. John Wesley himself preached a whole sermon on extending an olive branch, a sign of peace to the Romans, as he said. From our Anglican heritage, we are a moderate people. We know the value of an olive branch. And so on World Communion Sunday, Come October, we shall affirm here at Marsh one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. For we remember, among so many others, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, whose simple deeds of service to the poorest spoke volumes to her time. Now, I just mentioned the Anglicans. Did you notice how the Anglican or Episcopal tradition found its way on little cat feet into our sermon, our seasonal review? Very typical. You will usually find an Anglican sidling up alongside you in discussion, listening and careful in discourse. To the Episcopalian, a smile comes before a frown, a quite so before a not so. Anglicans are just like everybody else, only more so. They revere the variety and diversity of the communion of saints. They agree to disagree agreeably. They are peaceable people, nearly Quaker in character. Not for them the starch of Lutheran polemics nor the bitter herbs of Calvinist dogma. No, a little sherry in the afternoon, a little handle, a little woolly conversation, jolly good, telly-ho, pip-pip, cheerio. It is reason rather than revelation alone that has guided the Church of England, reason and a stiff dose of liturgy, including the veneration of the saints. And one was a soldier, and one was a priest, and one was slain by a fierce wild beast. This coming autumn, on All Saints' Day, you are all Anglicans. Marsh Chapel loves the Episcopalians. They are princes and princesses of peace, these sons and daughters of George III. They are optimistic people too, said Queen Victoria. We're not interested in the possibilities of defeat. But real peace, the waiting and quiet of peace in the heart, are ultimately the province of our Pennsylvania neighbors. In Advent, coming in 2014 in December, you are a Quaker through and through. Oh, you worship God. 
You know that in heaven we will be greeted by St. Peter, not by Benjamin Franklin, that we will walk the Golden Streets, not Market Street in Philadelphia, that we will hear the angelic choir, not the Liberty Bell, that we are disciples first and citizens second. Still, the city of brotherly love, only a few hours to the south and west of us, the American home of the spiritual descendants of George Fox, that quaking Englishman, is the home of a radical quest for peace, a waiting for peace, a longing for peace, a season of quiet that is utterly Quaker in nature. I have called you friends, said our Lord, and I tell you when you have truly felt the power of a society of friends, you will be as ready for the peace of Advent as you were prepared for the discipline of Lent by the Society of Jesus. Why, it's enough to make you sing like a Methodist. The Quakers may not have been always as militarily committed as others may have liked. In faith, they may have stepped aside when others had to step forward. Still, it was to them that Ben Franklin turned at the end of his life in 1792 to implore the young nation to jettison slavery, and they alone, prescient and right, stood by him. In Advent, we are all Philadelphia Quakers, eating cheesesteaks and Twinkies and sculling on the Schuylkill River. That is, we all await peace. We remember Mother Anne Lee and the shaking Quakers just to the west of us singing, in truth, simplicity is gain. To bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight, that by turning, turning, we come round right. Do you suspect that we may have saved the best for last? For come late December 2014, it will be this Sunday, it will be Christmas tide again. Sing we now of Christmas, Noel, Noel. A song greets the dawn. It is the singing of the birds before daybreak that heralds a new morning. And it is the singing of the Church of Christ in season and out that heralds a new creation. You are here to invite somebody to come to worship with you in 2014. So doing, you will ring the bell, sing the song, and tell the tale of Christmas. For Christmas means invitation. The birds sing while it is still dark, and the church sings while sin remains. But people do change for the better, even when we are reluctant to notice. So Ralph Waldo Emerson, the human being is convertible, said he. To come to Christmas, truly to come to Christmas, you must come as you have this day, singing, singing, wherever, in church, in the shower, at prayer meeting, in the choir, caroling by yourself. To sing is to be a Methodist, a singing Methodist, as our common speech declares. For all sing, but none so sweetly. All sing, but none so vibrantly. All sing, but none with a list of rules about how to do it pasted in the front of a hymnal, whose reproduction, by the way, every generation is the church equivalent of World War III. All sing, but none with the theological bearing of singing with the Wesleys. To sing the Wesley hymns is to plant one's standard upon the field of battle and roar. Let the games begin. And what shall we sing? Christmas carols, of course. And which carols? Those of English tradition, of course. And which of these? There is but one of the first rank. It is the doctrine of the incarnation, more than those others from crucifixion to resurrection, which so marks the people called Methodist. Friends, the primitive church told two stories about Jesus, that of his death, Holy Week and Easter, and that of his birth, Advent and Christmas. We must sing both, not just one or the other. So the Wesleys adored the Gospel of John, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
So they hoped for a new creation, finished pure and spotless. I love my church, even in the teeth of all our difficulties. I love my church. And so they built churches, great and beautiful, but those were just for appetizers to the real meal. Orphanages, mission societies, colleges, medical schools, hospitals, universities, including 128 U.S. schools and colleges with Boston University leading the parade. So Susanna Wesley bore 20 children, 17 of whom survived, one of whom, John, himself died saying, the best of all is God is with us, another of whom, Charles, gave us the gospel sung at Christmas. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that we may no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Can you hear this? It begs, begs to be heard. If you do, I challenge you. I call upon you for this New Year's resolution. Find yourself a church in 2014. Worship God once a week next year. Join us here in Marsh Chapel at 11 a.m. on Sunday and bring yourself a friend with you too. Happy New Year. The biblical accounts of prayer record various positions for prayer. For example, David sat and prayed, Jehoshaphat stood, and Solomon knelt and prayed, 
There are various other accounts. So at Marsh, we don't prescribe a single position for prayer. Rather, as we sing the call to, uh, to prayer together, we invite you to position yourself for reverent, reverent prayer. Now let us sing together, Lead Me, Lord. Creator of the world, sustainer of life, we join the choir of heavenly hosts giving you glory, honor, and thanks. For as the incarnate deity, you provided the path to salvation through your suffering and death on the cross. With reverence, we acknowledge you as the one true and living God. We offer our praise and thanks to you for enabling us to share in the inheritance of life and light. As we strive to live a life worthy of children of God, we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Abide with us and heal our hearts so that we may live approaching others with a spirit of peace, patience, and forgiveness. For the sick and those in recuperation, we ask for your healing power. Heal our anxious, confused, fearful, and overburdened minds. Give us the peace of your presence. We recognize that we need your help and are truly thankful for it. Christ, we carry your words and lessons in our hearts. As a source of all wisdom, Lord, grant us the ability to discern good from evil and the courage to do the right thing. Merciful God, we ask for you to forgive our sins, and we ask again that you help us to live, let love be our guide and peace rule our hearts. We call on you, O God, for you will answer us. Give ear to us and hear our prayers, for we offer them in the name of love's pure light, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, as a community of faith, let us pray together the prayer that Emmanuel taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning and Merry Christmas. Although Boston University is currently closed for intercession, we at Marsh Chapel are delighted to greet you this morning, some with a handshake in person in the nave and others with this verbal greeting over the radio this morning. Our liturgist has been Andrew Lynch, a student at Dalhousie University and a longtime Marsh Chapter member here. You may be a regular radio listener with us by voice today, we happily and strongly encourage you to make a year-end donation to Marsh Chapel to support our ongoing ministry. We need your support as we enter 2014. Your gift will help support continued ministry here in preaching, music, liturgy, and service. You may find the opportunity for online giving at our website, www.bu.edu chapel. As you consider your resolutions for 2014, we prayerfully and gently encourage you to consider making your weekly presence here in worship a new year pattern and discipline. And now I invite you to meditate on William Gerd's arrangement of this day Christ was born as the ushers wait upon us for the offertory.
the work before us, the life within us, the fellowship among us, thy love that surrounds us, we give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. of benediction in this form, Maxwell Abner would greet you, but he's less than a year old, and we are going to, following conversation and greeting, baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost following worship today. If you would like to be present with us about 10 minutes following the service, join us in the chancel with the Benson family for a time of gladness, celebration, reverence, and sacrament. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. Mm -hmm. 